Well, first, maybe we should say our names. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous, Holly. Smart Report! Welcome back to the Smart Report Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Holly. And I'm Ingrid. And today, we will be discussing the eight dukiest dukes. To recap for you all, the eight books that have made it into the Elite Eight for this conversation will be The Duke of Villiers out of A Duke of Her Own by Eloisa James, Faces Off Against the Duke of Davenport from A Duke in Disguise by Adra Richards. The next matchup will be The Duke of Montgomery from Duke of Sin by Elizabeth Hoyt, is facing off against The Duke of Ashbury from The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. Then we get into the bottom half of our bracket with The Duke of Claremont, from The Duchess War by Courtney Milan, facing off against the Duke of Wyndham, from Mr. Cavendish, I presume, by Julia Quinn. And the final matchup is going to be Jervaux from Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsale, facing off against the Duke of Bucastle from Slightly Dangerous by Mary Ballow. So we have got the eight dukiest dukes. What have we found? Yeah. So we we've gone through, we've talked about the trifecta of like like what makes a duke character fit the duke archetype well. And we decided today that we would dig in a little bit more by talking about how well these dukes worked to bring more pleasure to us as readers as part of the duke archetype. Like gave more oomph to these love stories. And so if you don't remember any of these books, don't remember our discussion, we'll have links to plot summaries for all the different books we're talking about and our previous discussions in the show notes, which you can find always at smutreport.com slash podcast. But yeah, we're going to get into it. And Ingrid thought of a fun idea for us to at least have a little bit of reminders. So to open each discussion, we're going to play a little bit of Mad Libs. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right, so let's start this showdown. Villiers versus Davenport. Prepare yourselves. The Duke of Villiers finds himself in need of a proper wife and finds one when suddenly he finds himself torn between her and an engaged woman with a tenuous grasp on her own sanity. And then eventually he decides not to be a giant dinglehead and marry the same woman he's actually in love with. (laughs) <laughs> this is so much better than mine. <laughs> I want to go last next. I mean, I want to go first next. <laughs> so right. I'll go next um, okay. because mine is actually very similar to Ingrid's here. <laughs> <laughs> the Duke of Villiers finds himself in need of a wife Ooh-hoo. when suddenly he ends up in a love triangle and there then is. eventually stops being a big dummy about what he needs in a partner. There it is. <laughs> All right. Mine are, more, mine are more succinct, but maybe less entertaining. So the Duke of Villiers finds himself deeply conflicted when suddenly he decides to shoulder his responsibilities responsibly and then eventually gets a clue. <laughs> nah, that was pretty good, Aaron. Yeah. I think succinct is better. <laughs> All right. So, Ingrid, you want to start with Davenport? All right, Davenport. <clears throat> so if people couldn't tell, the Mad Lib is the Duke of blank finds himself blank when suddenly he blank and eventually he blank. So, you know, there we go. <clears throat> 
The Duke of Davenport finds himself stuck in the countryside, incognito as a normal person to catch an embezzler, when suddenly he discovers that he knows nothing about real life and is borderline worthless, and eventually he convinces a hardworking normal person to marry him and be happy forever. (laughs) (laughs) These are really good book summaries. Thank you. What more do you need? We should just use this as our book summaries for everything we read. Done. <laughs> we could get so much more done, guys. <laughs> All right. One sentence Mad Lib reviews coming soon to this book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Duke of Davenport finds himself pretending to be a farmer to catch a cheating land agent when suddenly he gets hit in the head with a potato and then eventually (laughs) has a hissy fit when no one believed his deception. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. All right. So mine is the Duke of Davenport finds himself impugned when suddenly he realizes what a self-indulgent man child he's been and then eventually learns to farm. That's really simplified. I like it. That is the takeaway. He learns to farm. Done. He becomes a farmer. And everything is better. Okay, so Villiers versus Davenport. Now, in our in our Davenport versus Arundel discussion, we all kind of were like, these dukes don't really have the sauce. So whoever wins this one is just going to get knocked out by Villiers in the next round anyway. I don't... You know, having had some time to, like, let that marinate, I I don't know that that's not true, right? I think Villiers is, he's a very well-developed character, and he's relying on his, the conflict of his duty versus his desire. Mm-hmm. And his duty stems from not only what he needs to be as a duke, but also shouldering the responsibilities of his life choices at this point whereas you know davenport learns to be a farmer (laughs) whereas the salt of the earth people finally show him what a man child he's been i mean i will say this i think there is a parallel here and it's a tenuous one but it is a parallel and that's this both the duke of villiers and the duke of davenport are kind of portrayed with some degree of absurdity like both of them kind of end up being almost like a like like their pomposity is the joke right it's just that for Villiers it's his curated appearance right Am I, mm-hmm. and then for yeah, Davenport he's got all the, the gorgeous inverted. Georgian clothes right mm-hmm. and so for Davenport it's just inverted because he's you know it's like the emperor has no clothes type of situation only it's you know so I I do think that's the parallel and the question is is which for me, what I think it boils down to is which one was more effective? Which one felt more dukish? The negative or the positive, likewise? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I think you're right. So Villiers has this, we could call it pomposity with his clothes, his ostentation with his clothes, mm-hmm. which in the early part of the novel and in previous books in that series are all part of this duke persona that he has and it's shown to be a costume that he's wearing but that he still has the duke persona inside when he he doesn't need the trappings anymore once he gets in touch with himself whereas the pomposity of the duke of davenport that he has to get past is 
basically his self-indulgence and his, his lack of accountability and awareness of yeah. what other people are experiencing because of him. Right. And I don't know that he ever really comes to terms with all of that. It, like his lack of accountability at the end of the book. And they're also like, those are the things that make him a Duke kind of like his self-indulgence and lack of accountability. And if he doesn't have them, does he still have dukiness? Does that make sense? Am I right? No, you do. Yeah. Explain it to me like it doesn't make sense, Ingrid. So. (laughs) I'm not sure I just, I'm not sure I followed. Okay. So it's like, okay. So we have this pomposity that they have to break through, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. To become good romantic partners. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the pomposity for Villiers is like a shell that then he breaks through to become what he truly is on the inside. Right. It's like an Mm -hmm. external because it's his mask of clothing to protect himself. But at his core, he still has these some of these Duke traits, whereas Davenport, this pomposity is about his kind of his core traits rather than a mask. It's flipped. He he has to figure out how to grow past. But those core traits were some of the things that we identified that make him a duke archetype character which are kind of privilege and like lack of awareness of the of his privilege Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think the question here that i'm hearing is if we're saying that we we're trying to compare these different duke books to find if you like dukes right these qualities then this is the best duke book that represents that exemplifies a character with these qualities but technically with davenport he's overcoming some of those qualities right and right. i guess uh, we have other duke characters that are overcoming their blindness to their privilege sure but he doesn't have the other duke qualities that we've talked about to kind of to balance fall back on to keep right. him dukey once he overcomes this one dukey bit. he almost becomes stripped of the of the duke qualities as a it's necessary for him to have this relationship yes thank you thank you Ingrid, so, for recapping yeah. what i was trying to say in a clear and succinct manner yeah so if that's the case if he's if he, if the whole like culmination of the plot is that for him to have this relationship he's been stripped of these qualities that we've been discussing as being the duke archetype right Mm -hmm. then how does that translate for which one is more successful yeah yeah i mean i yeah i yeah i think i I think we'll come back to this because i think a lot of these duke characters have to get some of their duke qualities stripped away right in order to be good romantic partners and i think it's a level of degree and how much is left well and i think I think it's degree and how much is left, but I also think there's some nuance there because like, if you look at this in terms of, we like the idea as readers, because this is fiction, right? This isn't real life. We like the idea of characters being stripped to their core, right? But Mm -hmm. when you fall in love with a character who's kind of difficult, like he's not Mm -hmm. perfect, he's difficult to love, right? You don't want them completely stripped of those characteristics. You want them to retain the things that made you like them kind of in a naughty way from the jump, right? Right, including the things that make them difficult. Right, so I mm-hmm. think there's a there's a balance there. You want them to give a little, but you don't want them to just be like, I give up, I'm not a- remotely close to the person that I was, you know, like, 
Mm-hmm. I'll change completely and be whoever you want me to be because that's not actually like healthy or romantic. We don't really like that. So, uh, so we've been talking a lot about Davenport, and I think I'll, you know, close the loop on my thought here with Davenport, and maybe we can figure out how to loop Villiers back into the conversation. <laughs> but kind of jumping off what you're saying, Ingrid, he he becomes this new person who is theoretically more self-aware and grounded in reality because he goes and lives in a small town and learns how small town people are and like becomes a farmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we talked about that a lot. I was like, okay, he's a farmer. Why? And that is what rounds out his character arc in this book. And it doesn't really tie back in to his title at all. The, the title only matters at that point in so far as he owns the land that these people are living on mm-hmm. and they're renting from him. So aside from just the fact that he's the type of Duke, the type of character who's having this growth arc that you've described, like he is not particularly rooted in any significant kind of Dukishness anyway because everything boils down to the proud man who has no life skills learns life skills. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we did talk a little bit about his privilege where they're playing. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. like, they're, right. they're having fun playing and they don't care about the fact that these people are worried about being able to pay for food on their tables. Right. And so they're breaking into his house for no reason. Holly got very ragey on this discussion. So it's very so enjoyable ragey. to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't, so if you haven't listened to it, you should give it a listen. <laughs> so ragey. But yeah, at his core, it's not, he could be a gentleman landowner, I guess, maybe. Whereas Villiers, Holly, when you were talking, it reminded me of the scene where he goes courting at the end when he, you know, feels like maybe I've lost everything after all because I've mm-hmm. been an adulpated twit who didn't see what was right in front of my face. Mm-hmm. And he dresses down. He wears like brown clothes, mm-hmm. right? And a plain hat or whatever. Like he's mm-hmm. putting on a different performance of being a mere mister. Mm-hmm. But they both acknowledge that he still has some of these inherent qualities where he's going to be a little pill because that's just who he is because he's still the Duke and she's still a Duke's daughter. Yeah. And I mean, maybe we're not digging super deep into Villiers because I'm not sure that there's, I think it would be difficult to argue that he doesn't, that the ways that he Dukes are not enjoyable and integral to the plot. Right. There's not there's just not much debate over it. I mean, we're also discussing in this conversation how the ways in which we enjoy the book more because of how how hard this duke dukes. Mm-hmm. You're welcome for that. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, obviously I have trouble remembering plots and stuff, but Villiers I remember cuz he just only a only a duke of his caliber would be able to rock like the most the ostentatious clothes that he does and just and he does it so beautifully like he just the outlandish things he says and does are memorable and he gets away with it because he's a duke yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i think we should i mean i think we can just declare villiers the winner and go on to our more challenging matchups all right let's do here here i approve i have more mad libs to share with you all first round villiers the winner is all right so 
Our next pair off is the Duke of Montgomery from mm-hmm. Elizabeth Hoyt's Duke of Sin versus the Duke of Ashbury from the Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. That is quite a matchup. This is quite a matchup. Aaron picked the Duke of Ashbury to win it all. To win it all. I don't don't know, guys. I think that might have been a bad life choice, but whatever. I don't know if he's going to make this round, but (laughs) let's fight about it. Well, okay. Let's do our our mad lips first. All right. All right, Ingrid, lead us off. <clears throat> All right. The Duke of Montgomery finds himself in hiding and cooking up a blackmail scheme to manipulate his way back into society <clears throat> when suddenly he discovers that his housekeeper is the illegitimate daughter of a lady who is sneaking around his house looking for evidence he'd hidden away. Not <laughs> long, guys. Sorry. And then eventually he kidnaps someone and convinces his housekeeper to fall in love with him and sort of help him find a conscience. <laughs> It was just, guys, this plot was too heavy. It was like, how are you supposed to? I mean, I can do it better. Here, the Duke of Montgomery finds himself hiding from the consequences of his actions. And then suddenly he gets whacked over the head emotionally with this housekeeper. And then eventually he's still the same person. (laughs) Just with a wife. There. Is that better? I like it. I like it. All right. Holly. All right, here's mine. Okay. The Duke of Montgomery finds himself intrigued by his housekeeper when suddenly he almost dies and therefore does some murder and kidnapping and then eventually steps up to protect the woman he loves. Oh, man. Okay, I like that. That was good. That was shorter. Okay. The Duke of Montgomery finds himself intrigued when suddenly he plays a game of cat and mouse with his housekeeper and then eventually learns to have feelings. Hmm. Okay, that was pretty good. That was good. <laughs> All right. We're so on to the Ashbury. Duke of Ashbury. Ashbury Again, my apologies. This is the two longest ones. <clears throat> the Duke of Ashbury finds himself in need of a bride when suddenly he finds himself with a bride in his very own study, or at least a seamstress <laughs> in a hideous wedding dress demanding payment. And then eventually he marries her, terrorizes the town with his late night walks and scarred face, and finally accepts that he's fine the way he is and deserves to live his life with people who love him. <laughs> I really like that one. I also think it's funny that we use a lot of the same words, even though I we know. didn't share these We've in been advance. Hanging out for way too long, guys. <laughs> also, that, but maybe it just shows that there are some like key things about yeah. the characterization of these characters, right? So, guys, <laughs> just a side note: I cannot remember. I'm gonna remember, and I'll tell you. I was trying to refresh my memory so i was looking at goodreads like what happened in this book again and i can't (laughs) somebody described one of the dukes as an asparagus pee of a man (laughs) (laughs) okay but which one (laughs) i know i have to remember now i wish i'd done it i laughed so hard because i was like she was like well actually she said i think exactly the words were this book isn't just so bad it's not like an asparagus pee of a reed and i was just like (laughs) (laughs) oh it was so good anyway i'm sorry to go off track but now when we're talking about commonly used verbiage i would never have thought to use that but do i want to now absolutely i do because you just know exactly what that means you're like yes (laughs) anyway anyway all right sorry to go off track but there you go there's the duke of ashbury Okay, Holly, you're up. 
<clears throat> the Duke of Ashbury finds himself making an offer of marriage to a seamstress when suddenly he discovers that he actually kind of likes her and then eventually admits it. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh, wow. You got very deeper into the book than we did. All right. Mine is the Duke of Ashbury finds himself confronted with a sign from above when suddenly he is visited by a seamstress in a hideous wedding dress and then eventually finds himself... Oh, huh. hideous wedding dress. Hideous wedding dress. Hideous wedding dress. I mean, <laughs> a memorable <takeaways>. moment. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. All right. So going to be a lot harder, Montgomery guys. versus Ashbury. So I'm kind of curious to know where Ingrid lands on this because you had very strong feelings about Montgomery Ingrid. Yeah, I just, he's just, I think, I think he just, it takes us different palette to enjoy he's just so awful like he's just but that's the point he's awful but he gets away with it because he's a duke it's effective and mm-hmm. then it's hard for this is the other thing that's hard for me with this matchup is that they're both kind of funny but they're mm-hmm. funny in totally different ways like montgomery's funny because he's just completely out of line like right <laughs> right like so far over the line the line is a distant mark upon the horizon and Ashbury, he just toes the line constantly in a very funny but harmless way. Mm-hmm. Montgomery is funny because he's like malignant. Ashbury is funny because he thinks he's malignant and he's actually <laughs> harmless. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so it's just like, how do you even match those two up? Because they're just totally different. Oh, it's a toughie, guys. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, okay, who's the better duke well montgomery montgomery's power is derived from his i mean to a certain extent from his heritage he's been kind of made into the man he is by his extremely terrible father and like all his father's terrible cronies who have this despicable club right right and and his you know, his dad murders all of his kittens and it's just so bad. And so, and so Montgomery's got this background where he's learned that the way that he doesn't lose is to kill the thing you love, to kill the thing you love. Right. So he's got this very amazing skill of blackmailing everyone. And as I noted last time, I'll note again, like he blackmails the king. And succeeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gets away with it. So he he is really something. Whereas Ashbury is more, he's very isolated the whole time because he's hiding because he thinks that he, everything that he was before, all of his mm-hmm. prior dukishness is worth nothing now that he's damaged, right? Because he's mm-hmm. so severely scarred from the war that he's just been in hiding since then and he thinks that all of his prior everything personhood but also power and influence is gone um so once again we have two very different characterizations forming the foundation of the character arcs for these two guys yeah okay so let's go back to our question of how much pleasure the duke archetype as shown by these characterizations brings to the reader right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i know i picked ashbury to win mm-hmm. but i i might believe that the real pleasure derived from the duchess deal and ashbury in it 
is due to some of the situational comedy of the story more Mm -hmm. so than Ashbury's personal characterization. Well, it's grumpy sunshine. There's a grumpy sunshine element to that book, I think. Right. You know, and a Beauty and the Beast element, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, learning, yeah. The Beast learning to love himself, mm-hmm. and that, and I, and I think that's where the pleasure comes from, right? It's not mm-hmm. about him stepping into his power as a duke or reclaiming his place in society or owning who he is, not just like personally, but in a larger context of who he's around. It's about mm-hmm. him kind of learning to like himself again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. which I think is a different kind of hero's journey than the Duke archetype hero's journey. Yeah. Well, I think you really captured it when you said it's Beauty and the Beast book. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's it's more of a Beauty and the Beast book than it is a Duke book. He happens to be a Duke. Yeah. But he could be an Earl who's been terribly scarred and avoiding society who needs to so the whole his whole thing for Mary the reason that he feels like he needs to marry someone is just so that he can have an heir but he doesn't mm-hmm. even want to be around his heir because he doesn't want his heir to be afraid, afraid of him, him. Yeah. right and so it is centrally about overcoming this fear that he's not going to be good enough or lovable enough because of his appearance right and the duke of montgomery never worries that he's no. not good enough or lovable enough because he doesn't care. <laughs> and, well, and because of course he's good enough. He's the Duke of Montgomery. He doesn't have to care what uh, like. Well, you're right. He doesn't care what other people think about him because except they're beneath for his sister. him. Except, except, for his sister. except for his sister, and he is he is pretty upset in the after the scene when his sister tells him that he needs to shape like, up, shape up, basically. But yeah, it never it would never occur to him that he would need to worry what other people care about him because he's so well because it's partially because he's so himself but it's also because he knows exactly what he would do in order to force the point he would go find some blackmail and blackmail them Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what they think of him because he can still control them yeah they'll do what he wants and that's fine Mm -hmm. i wholeheartedly enjoyed the duke of ashbury way more Way more than the Duke of Montgomery. But I think that while his position as a Duke improves the plot of the Duke of Ashbury, it is not integral to the plot. And I think Mm -hmm. that it is for Montgomery. It's inherent. It's important. Mm -hmm. It literally would not work in any other way. And I think that, honestly, it's maybe the reason that I enjoyed the book in any way was because Mm -hmm. it, it was just so outrageous. Like, he was just so over the top yeah and it would not have been the same had he been in any other position so in conclusion i'll be the first one to say i don't want to vote for the duke of montgomery (laughs) but he gets my vote well also i'll remind us that the ashbury versus leighton matchup was the only one where we had opposing views and a tiebreaker Mm -hmm. yeah so and oh man i didn't like that one in the first place that was the one i was like holly (laughs) sorry man (laughs) So, but I think Ingrid, you've, I mean, we've landed at some good points that the Duchess deal was a really fun read. Oh, it was so good. The whole series is good. But it might not be the dookiest read. Yeah. No. All right. I think that ties that up. We're making good time, guys. Ding, ding, ding. Round two winner is Duke of Sin by Elizabeth Hoyt featuring Duke of Montgomery. All right. Well, 
as it happens, we had a knockdown, drag out debate about the last four books in the Elite Eight. So we and it was a really long conversation. We are going to split this into part one and part two. So that concludes part one. Stay tuned for part two coming soon. In the meantime, let's check in with our show notes. Show notes at smutreport.com slash podcast. And we'll also link all of our show notes for the previous matchups if you need to catch up in the notes. All that fun stuff. And let us know what you think. If you really disagree with any of our decisions, drop us a line. We would love to hear about it. We could argue about this forever. You are invited. Yes. And until then, keep it smutty, folks. Na 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 smut report.